Hello, it's Beth Kempton, author of Freedom Seeker and founder of Do What You Love. Welcome to the Freedom Seeker Chronicles. If you're new here, you can find out more about me and my work at bethkempton.com. The Freedom Seeker Chronicles is a place for brave stories, real inspiration, actionable advice, and great conversations. So many of us build lives that end up trapping us, chasing the kind of success that doesn't actually make us happy, until one day we eventually realize that enough is enough. We want to do things our way. We want to manifest our own happiness. We want to escape, make our own rules, and fly free. Because deep down we know it's in flying free that we fulfill our true potential and we really come alive. The Freedom Seeker Chronicles podcast is a regular dose of escape elixir to reignite that desire and light the way. I define freedom as the willingness and ability to choose your path and live life as your true self. In this podcast, the stories will inspire that willingness and in my book, Freedom Seeker, you'll find all the tools you need for that ability. The rest is up to you. If you haven't yet read my book, you can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble and all good independent bookstores. It's the perfect companion to this podcast. And if you've read it and you're here for more inspiring stories, welcome friend, you're in for a treat. So let's dive in. Today's guest has an incredible way with words. She's smart and witty and has a giant heart. Her writing has been featured on the websites of Time, Forbes, Newsweek, The Huffington Post and Lifehacker, and even in song lyrics and stenciled onto paintings. Throughout her career, she's survived every type of writing-related drama that you can imagine, and she's considered giving up many times. But she's always found ways to dig deep, stay focused, and keep going. I am delighted to welcome Alexandra Franson onto the show to chat about creativity, storytelling, and not giving up. Are you ready? Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited. Me too, because it, we just seem to bump into each other um, in very strange places. I mean, in the last few months, we've bumped into each other randomly on two different continents. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I bumped into you uh, at a, a ship port in the UK. I was getting off of a cruise ship with a bunch of uh, women. We did a retreat on the cruise ship and there you were standing (laughs) on the shore. (laughs) It was so funny. I I couldn't believe my eyes. I kind of did a double take and and it felt very surreal. And then we met again uh, in a a swimming pool in Portland. (laughs) We we seem to be meeting in bodies of water (laughs) or thereabouts. That's so true. So I'm I'm kind of feeling like both times we were not really in a rush, but we didn't speak for more than about five minutes. So I'm really happy. I'm kind of telling, feel like the universe is telling us we need to have a bit of a longer chat. So I'm so happy to have you here today. And as the queen of words, I thought it would be a good place to start by asking you, if you were interviewing yourself, what would you ask yourself? Oh, my gosh, what a fun question. Um, You know, one thing that I always love hearing when I read interviews or when I listen to interviews is I just love hearing, uh, like, what is an average day in your life? Like, what does your life look like behind the scenes? You know, not the Instagram version of your life, but 
like the real version of your life? Like, what's it like from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep? So that's a question that I, I like, I like to ask almost everyone. And that would be a fun one to answer. Great place to start. So Alex, what does your average day look like? So an average day in my life, an ideal day uh, would include waking up fairly early. Um, For me, that means like 6.30 or 7 a.m. Then uh, I definitely am one of those people where like I can't exist without at least one cup of coffee. So I sort of stumble over (laughs) like a zombie to the coffee maker. Um, and I, I like to actually get up a bit earlier than my partner. He likes to sleep in a bit later. And I enjoy having a little quiet time um, just to myself in the morning to sort of come into consciousness, caffeinate, etc. cetera. Um, I love to work out first thing in the morning. That really makes a big difference for me. It doesn't always happen uh, first thing in the morning, but ideally it does and often it does. Um, and for me, that might mean a yoga class. It might mean um going to there's a spinning studio do you guys have spinning in the uk yeah, like indoor do, yeah. cycling yeah it's, it's yeah so I, oh my gosh it's so hard and i i'm so spoiled because where i live uh literally within like a five block radius of my apartment is an amazing spinning studio an amazing yoga studio it's i mean i really have no excuse it's all right there <laughs> i don't even have to get in the car or anything um then I like to come home. I usually work from home, sometimes from a coffee shop. Um, I'm contemplating the idea of getting an office outside the home, maybe sometime next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what I find is that I, I'm a writer, I'm a professional writer. So that takes different forms. Some days I'm working on writing project for a client. Some days I might be coaching a client uh, who's working on a, a project of their own. Some days I'm working on my own type of writing project. Sometimes I'm putting together curriculum for a writing class. So there's always something different that's going on. Um, but one thing that I have definitely learned about myself in recent years is that I have a tendency to overestimate uh, how much I can really get done in a day comfortably and overestimate just like kind of how much my brain can can do can hold in any given day and what I found is that like I have about four hours of like truly productive creative brain time in a day like real work time where I'm really producing and after those four hours I'm kind of done, you know, like I can do maybe some emails and bits and pieces, invoices, whatever, but um, it's really not realistic for me to like push myself, you know, eight hours, 10 hours um, on the computer, writing, producing, creating. It just doesn't work. I I feel gross and it's not my best work. So I try to like really work from about like 9 a.m. to, you know, 1 p.m., 2 p.m., something like that. And then I try to take a break in the afternoon, you know, go for a hike or go for a walk or switch gears and do it some type of project that's not quite as um, high energy, you know, requirement. I might do a project around the home. I might do some cooking. I might, you know, do something with my partner. Um, But I try to keep the afternoons kind of more on on a light shift, on a light gear. And sometimes I get a second wind in the evening and I want to do a little bit more writing or work or I get inspired. Um... But I try to keep the evenings uh, for for personal time as well, you know, for family, for friends, for calling my mom, watching a movie with my sweetheart, things like that. So, yeah, that's kind of an ideal day. It doesn't always happen exactly like that, but uh, often it does. And and that's what feels really good to me. That is amazing. I mean, that it sounds dreamy. (laughs) How how 
long and how many changes has it taken to get that kind of day-to-day in place? Is that how you've <laughs> always worked? Uh, no, um, it's been about, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm almost 33 years old, so it's been like a 33-year process, <laughs> but um, especially in the last eight years or so, uh, about, about seven and a half, eight years ago, I quit my job and decided to become self-employed. And, um, you know, a huge, huge motivation for that was more freedom, right? Like more freedom creatively to express myself um, without without an editor, um, more freedom in my lifestyle. It did not happen like that immediately. <laughs> there was a lot of trial and error and a lot of, um, you know, really just kind of old habits that I had to break out of, um, like the mindset that we are supposed to work eight hours a day. And that is what it means to be, you know, a functional human being. Like there's so many uh mindsets that I think are really just ingrained so deeply then and patterns we get into without even really realizing it. So it's it's taken a while to kind of, you know, nudge myself into a daily routine that that actually feels like freedom to me. And, and how did you do that? Like the It's so easy to feel guilty about essentially, oh, I've got an afternoon off, but it's not an afternoon off because you've just done four hours of incredibly productive work, which might be three times more productive than someone who spent 12 hours in an office perhaps how do you change that mindset and and tell yourself Mm -hmm. this is just how your life is yeah it's a good question you know I there's a poster uh, at a gym that I go to sometimes and this particular gym specializes in like a, a 45 minute workout class that's very very high intensity it's really hard like (laughs) you are like trembling by the end and the teachers are so motivating and so you know fiery and they have this big poster as you walk out the door which says you don't need more time you need more intensity Mm. and that's kind of their motto meaning you know if you can really push yourself in a good way and challenge yourself and really be present and really show up for a 45 minute workout that's all you need. You know, you can get a great workout in 45 minutes and you can be done. Um, you don't necessarily have to be at the gym for an hour or 90 minutes or whatever. Um, you can get in and get out and, and do what needs to be done and move on with your day. And that's kind of an attitude that I've taken from the fitness world and that I try to now apply to the rest of my life as well. You know, if, if I can really focus and close all the tabs on my internet browser and set an intention and truly work for four hours and and write and produce something that I feel proud of, why hang around on my computer for another four hours just sort of dithering around, right? You know, I, I can, if I can get it done, I can get it done and then I can move on with my life. And for me, that's what self-employment is all about, right? You want to produce, um, but without being tied to your computer or tied to your desk um, in a way that's really unpleasant because, you know, life is not just about your work. Absolutely. There's so many other things to experience. And it's interesting that as a, you know, a highly creative person who's who's earning their living from their creativity, it's, it's kind of tricky to find, it's like a blurry line between what's work and what's not work if you also find pleasure in doing that thing outside of it bringing in money. And I always find that's a, that's a really tricky kind of boundary for people. And I know um, for lots of people starting out, being self-employed, it, it's not always just about the fact that you should be doing the hours because that's what everyone does. It's that if you're not doing the hours, that's an opportunity to generate money, which you've missed, that you're, you know, because you you can be really obsessed with generating money when you've just given up a, a steady 
salary and now it's all on you. So how it, did you have that in the beginning? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So when I quit my job, I was working in public broadcasting and radio and I had you know, I really had the type of job that that many people looked at me and thought, wow, she's really got her dream job. You know, she gets to work for this amazing radio company. And, and it truly at one time, it was my dream job. Um, but over time, I began to realize I just I really was like just starving for freedom. I, I didn't want to work in a cubicle or an office. I didn't want to work under fluorescent light bulbs. I didn't want to do, you know, the 4 a.m. Uh, early morning radio shift during the member drives. Like I, I just I wanted so much more flexibility and freedom in my life. So I, I knew that sooner or later I needed to step away because that particular career path just wasn't, you know, I knew it wasn't going to work out for me long term. So you know, when I decided to quit my job, um, I, I did plan a little bit for the transition into being self-employed. I actually hired a career coach, which I'd never done before. Um, you know, I, I hustled and I lined up a few projects, a few freelance projects here and there. I saved up as much money as I could. You know, I, I tried to do a few things to make that transition feel, uh, you know, as, as sane as possible. Um, but here's what happened. So after I quit, I remember thinking like, oh, hooray, like my life is my own. I'm a free woman. I can do whatever I want. But I was so anxious all the time because I, at that time, I didn't have a lot of security. I didn't have a ton of projects lined up. I didn't have, I mean, no one even knew who I was or what I was doing. I was completely starting from zero. So what I noticed happening was, I remember I quit my job kind of in springtime, beginning of summer. And I had this vision of like, every morning in the summer, I'll walk down to the river and then I'll have lunch outside under a tree. And then I'll call my mom every night and this and that. I did none of those things. Like, literally zero. All that summer, I was really just like hunched over my computer on Twitter, emailing, just sort of like not even really working, but just sort of like anxiously frittering around, like hoping for a client to show up in my inbox. And that's really how I spent like the first year of self-employment. <laughs> and it was... I'm I, laughing, I, but I, I think that's pretty much how everyone right spends the first year. <laughs> right? So it was just sort of like, I just sort of felt like, and looking back, it doesn't, it didn't make sense, but I felt like I needed to be on or near my computer at all times, just in case some sort of opportunity came my way, which of course, intellectually is insane. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Uh, if someone emails you and wants to hire you, they're still going to want to hire you two hours later after yeah. you get back from, you know, lunch or whatever. <laughs> um, but I, I just had this this anxious feeling of like, I need to be plugged in always. And and that's really, yeah, that's how my first year went. And at, sooner or later, you know, at a certain point, I sort of realized, okay, like, this is nuts. I need to create a little more balance and, and things started to shift. But it is so easy to get sucked into that, um, that pattern. For sure. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Oh, there's so many things I want to ask you about, but one of the things that jumped out to me there is um, how you were saying that you had a dream job, that a dream job in other people's eyes and was once a dream job for you. I think it's really important to give ourselves permission that you can have a dream and reach the dream and then you can have a different dream and it's okay to let that dream go. You don't have to hold on to it just because that's the thing that you've always talked about and then you've done it and then you have to keep. And also just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I think this is something that's so difficult for me and for many of us. Um, the idea that the dream can change and hearts can change. And it doesn't mean that 
you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're flaky necessarily. It just means it's a new chapter, right? And something I, I often think about is um, my mom, actually. Uh, she's gone through many career evolutions in her life, but she's also gone through many other evolutions in her life. And after she had my brother, when she was very young, she was like 19 or 20, she swore adamantly, you know, this is it, one kid, I don't want any more, absolutely not. Um, she got remarried to my dad, he begged her, let's have kids, let's have kids. She was like, nope, never, I'm done. You know, I've got one, I've got Ben, I'm so happy with one child. Like, truly, she was absolutely 100% convinced that she would never have any other kids. But things changed, right? She had a change of heart at a certain point, and she had me, and she had my sister, and uh, and you know, obviously, she's, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm very happy about it. So. <laughs> um, but the the point is, you know, I think about that often um, when I'm struggling with a transition, and I remind myself, you know, our hearts can change, and our dreams and desires can change in the biggest of ways. And it's okay. And it can be a beautiful thing. And we don't have to punish ourselves for it. We just have to, to lean into it and go with it. Absolutely. And while we're talking about transition, I'm, I'm interested because you've been very much talking about changing the, the lifestyle at the time that you left your career into this other career. Um, did you know what, your, what you do now was what it was going to become? back then was it more about just having a different kind of day or was it there's a thing that you really wanted to do that wasn't your job hmm you know I think if I'm being really honest uh back when I wanted to leave my job I I knew that I wanted to be self-employed I knew that I wanted to do something related to writing because that's kind of always been a thing for me um but beyond that I didn't really have a clear vision. I just knew I really, really didn't want to work for a big company in a cubicle. And it was more of it was more about what I didn't want than what I did. I was just trying to get away from uh, a, a career that just really felt not not right for me. So, you know, over the past eight years or so, things have become much clearer. You know, I, I think I found my voice as a writer. I've built, you know, a, a small but but wonderful little fan base and audience. Uh, I've released books. I've, you know, I've, I've come into my own and, and things feel a lot clearer now. But things were not clear on day one of self-employment. I mean, I was really just like, okay, here I go. Like, I'll figure it out, I guess. <laughs> and how much of it is a process of elimination, do you think? Is it like going, going just after the things you really like or the things that you don't like or don't work out so well being useful pointers towards the things that you should be doing? I think it's a little of both. You know, for me, when I think about that first year, for example, of self-employment, when I was just sort of anxiously, you know, tethered to my computer at all times, there was a lot of experimentation and a lot of trial and error. Um, I felt like I was you know, you know, like when you make spaghetti uh, in a pot and to some people to test if it's done, they'll pull out a noodle, and they'll throw it against the wall. And if it sticks to the wall, then like it's good. So I felt like a lot of that year was me just sort of like making pots of spaghetti and throwing things against the wall to see what would <laughs> stick and see what would work. And like it was all just kind of sloppy and a big mess. But I think for for some of us, you know, not for all of us, there there has to be that sort of sloppy experimentation period um, in order to figure out, you know, 
what type of clients do I like to work with? What type of projects am I good at? You know, what types of things light me up inside versus what's what's something I'm sort of good at and could do, but I don't really like it. And, you know, what's the intersection of what I love and what people actually want to pay for? And, you know, all of these questions, I think, require a little bit of trial and error um, to, to find, you know, the answer to the riddle. For sure. Um, so Patience I think it is, is important. It is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's so hard because we want to have everything figured out, you know, yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it does take time. So what's lighting you up at the moment? Oh, that's a lovely question. Um, you know, so many things, really. Uh, it's been a, a really special and beautiful year. Um, I am I'm really, really excited about some travel that I have coming up uh, with my partner, Brandon. We're going on. He's he's gotten me to turn into a, a backpacker and a camper, which I've never done before. But we are doing a variety of camping trips this fall um, in beautiful locations. And I'm oh, I, I'm just finding that the more time I spend in nature, like deep in nature, where there's no cell phone service, the better I feel. So I'm really looking forward to those adventures. Um, also, it doesn't hurt that he's like an expert camper who knows how to like make a gourmet meal on a camping stove. And I, I just sit back in, you know, admiration. <laughs> Look at the stars or the sunset cool. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, what other things are lighting me up? Um, I am... I am very excited because I recently started taking a dance class and mm. it's been so much fun and it's, I've always loved to dance. I've never been especially good at it, but it's so fun to have something on your calendar, even if it's just once a week or twice a month where you just get to kind of forget about everything else and, you know, follow the steps as best you can and smile and feel goofy. And it's really been so good for me, um, especially as someone who is, you know, a bit perfectionistic uh, to really just say, you know what, I'm not the best dancer in this class and I probably never will be, but this is really fun and it's a great workout and I'm, I'm just doing it. <laughs> and sometimes it's good <laughs> just to it. get your mind kind of away from all the stuff that goes around in it all day long. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. I think people, particularly people who are, you know, creative in the sense that, you know, you're, you're writing, you're producing, you're recording, you're, you're creating something. We're so in our brains. I mean, our brains are just whirling, whirling all the time. And for me, you know, working out or dancing or something that's kind of physically strenuous is, is really one of the only times when my brain turns off. Um, and I, I love that. And I, it's something I've come to to actually crave and look forward to rather than than dread going to the gym. <laughs> it's so important. It's one of those so, things I, I know I always need to do more of. I seem to get most of my physical exercise from tidying my house and running around after my little right? children. <laughs> but it definitely still, all of it counts for sure. So let's talk about your writing. I mean, you, you just have an amazing way with words. I know I've hired you in the past to help me think through things. And um, you just there's something about the way that you put words together that's really unusual and really powerful. Um, where do you think that came from? Oh, thanks for the, for the kind words about my words. <laughs> um, where did it come from? You know, I have... That's a really good question, and I'm not sure I know. Um, I think we're all born with just certain things that you know we're sort of naturally drawn to or naturally good at. Um, often these things become apparent when we're children, sometimes not. But I was definitely born into a very creative family. That was a huge blessing to me. Um, my mom was a professional singer, an opera singer, for about 20 years. 
Uh, my dad is a lawyer, but he's really kind of like a, a philosopher who happens to be a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, both of them, you know, were always reading. We were always discussing interesting ideas um, from my dad. I think I really learned how to see all sides of a situation and how to look at situations with empathy and how to use language in a way where you're sort of diffusing conflict and creating, you know, excitement and connection. Um, that's something that that he does really well as an attorney and mediator. And from my mom, I think I get, you know, even though I'm very introverted, uh, from her, I got sort of a flair for the dramatic and, and for creativity and for writing as a form of, you know, storytelling and engaging an audience and things like that. So I think really from my two parents, um, either even though neither of them identify as a writer, exactly, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of lessons sort of percolated in my brain from them. Um, and they were also just very supportive. You know, I was even from age eight, I was making little, you know, books that I would make at home and draw and use my dad's Xerox machine to copy and I'd staple them together and I'd bring them to my classmates at school. And in high school and college, I was always involved in, in writing, whether it was, you know, student journalism or some kind of theater, you know, writing plays, whatnot. I, I was just always doing it, you know. It was something that I kept being pulled back to. And then uh, I ended up majoring in English, which I'm sure, you know, influenced my writing in some way or another because I ended up reading all the classics and things like that. Um, and then after college, I got my, my first real job was working for the radio station that I mentioned a while back. And that shaped my writing as well because in, in radio – um, you know, you're working with very specific chunks of time. You have like a 15 second advertisement or a 30 second underwriting spot or a, you know, a five minute segment or whatever. So I, I think that's where I started to learn how to write with parameters. You know, how do you write something that really gets the message across in 15 seconds? Um, and that was very valuable to me, especially the work I do today where I'm writing a lot of things that are intended for an online audience. Um, that really need to get to the point <laughs> really quickly. Yeah. So that's kind of a roundabout story. But, you know, I think I became the writer I am today through a lot of trial and error and also through the influence of just, you know, kind of different presences and forces in my life, um, all of which I'm so grateful for. It's really, um, it's a really good reminder that so often the things that we're drawn to when we're little really matter. And not just, not necessarily like the clubs that we belong to because our parents sent us there, but actually the things that when left to our own devices we wandered off and did whether that's climb a tree or type a story out on someone's typewriter or draw a picture or whatever it was it's so important to try and remember those things isn't it because there's clues in them for sure you know there's a really good friend of mine is a woman named susan hyatt who maybe you know she's a, a life she was coach on the boat with you. <laughs> she was on the boat that's right <laughs> And um, one thing that she says to her clients often, which I love, is that um, the things that you were scolded for as a child can sometimes be clues as to what your greatest gifts are. And, and the example that she gives is as a kid, she was always very outspoken. She was always talking, 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 talking. She had so much to say, so many opinions. She was always just Miss Chatterbox. And she was scolded for it constantly. Her, her teachers would say, you know, be quiet. You're too opinionated. Pipe down. You know, you're disruptive, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so it was something that she actually got, you know, marked down on her report card for. The irony is today, you know, she is a public speaker. She is a a podcaster. She's known for her sort of disruptive, you know, exciting, fiery opinions. She loves to talk. She's a life coach. She talks to people all day long. So it's interesting how this thing that was sort of perceived as a bad thing when she was little, a naughty thing, is actually what makes her so great at the work she does today. And so that's an interesting thing to look at. You know, what did you get scolded for as a kid or or what did people tell you to stop doing or that wasn't okay? Um, and, and if you sort of flip it into the present day, could that actually be a talent, a gift? Yeah. Sometimes I think it is. Now that you don't have to listen to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. So I, I love your story about how you kind of became the writer that you are. And I know that you coach people as well. And they're two very different things, right? Like digging deep into your own creativity and then kind of luring that out of others. What what do you get out of the teaching versus the writing yourself? You know, it's I love it. I love teaching. I love coaching and mentoring um, because I really believe that, you know, almost all of us, we want to make a contribution to humanity in some way, right? Like we want to feel like my life matters, my work matters. Um, and, and most of us feel a real sense of accomplishment and pride when we finish a creative project, whatever it is, you know, whether you're, you're making a decorative pillow for your couch or you're making muffins or you're writing a book or whatever, like, when that project is finished, it just feels so good. And and that sense of pride, um, I think, can really lift your self-esteem. It just makes you feel amazing, right, that, that you did it. And so when I can help a client get to that finish line and be like, I did it, you know, like I, I released my podcast or I launched my blog for real or, oh, my gosh, I just got published in a magazine for the first time or, or whatever it may be, Um it's like I get secondhand excitement from their excitement, and it's it's so fun to to witness that journey. Um, I also think there's there's real value. Um, like, and I went through a period where I was like, can I even call myself a teacher or or a writing coach? Like, who, who am I? <laughs> like, am I just full of myself? Am I a fraud, etc.? But what I've come to realize is, I think there's real value in just setting aside, you know, an hour on your calendar where you know I'm gonna meet with my coach today or I have to talk on the phone with my mentor today because just knowing that that appointment is there um, I think sort of gets your wheels turning. You you tend to get your thoughts organized. You know, you want to show up to the call and make it be productive. So just having that time on your calendar for a lot of people is very valuable and helps them to move forward with their projects instead of just ignoring them indefinitely. It's interesting because um, so it, like, it sounds like your coaching is probably more of an emotional thing than the actual how to write, is it? Why, why do you think people come to you? Is it that they want to a hand-holding or a guide or you you know someone's in their corner going come on you can do it is is that what you spend most of your time doing you think definitely yeah you know there are obviously there are places you can go to learn you know the technicalities of writing if you want to learn about spelling and grammar and sentence structure and so forth um i'm not your gal because uh quite honestly my grammar is not textbook perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm more interested in helping people to, yes, to overcome the, the emotional and often the, the logistical blocks that stop them from writing as much as they would like. So 
things that we end up talking about often uh, in you know retreats that I lead or classes are you know fear of criticism, fear of rejection, um, fear of putting your work out there and then you know not having the message land in the way that you'd hoped. Um, and also just kind of lifestyle things, running out of time, not having the energy, um, not really knowing how to set an intention before you start writing and then having it be sort of scattered and all over the place. So, yeah, we, we really look mainly at the the emotional stuff um, that stops people from creating in the way that they'd like. And, and there's there's a lot there. And it's all stuff that I've <laughs> that I've done. I'm, I'm nodding like crazy here, having released my first book this year. I know all about all of those things for sure. <laughs> I'm curious, like for anyone who's listening, who is is stuck on a creative project for any of those reasons, mainly the emotional ones. Can you give us some tips today? Like what would you, it's because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So when you know it's going to happen, what can you do about it? You know, one thing that has been very helpful to me personally is reading stories of people that I admire and hearing about their struggles and challenges. So, for example, there's this wonderful actor, Mark Ruffalo, who I love, um, and he's such a cutie. Yeah. And I read he's in an incredible interview. Hulk, right? I think he is. Yeah. yeah, I actually haven't seen that one, but he's done many films that are all wonderful. Um, so Mark went on 600 auditions as an actor before he booked a single part. Oh, my goodness. Six, I had no 600. idea. I had no idea either. And I, I read that in an interview and I just really thought to myself, like, oh, my God, like, can you imagine? I don't think I could endure 600 rejections in my line of work. And yet he loved the craft of acting. He was so passionate, you know, and I guess he just viewed it as, you know, I want to do this. I'm just going to keep going until someone says yes. And eventually someone will. And so hearing stories like that gives me comfort in a way because it reminds me I'm not the only one who struggles. I'm not the only one who gets rejected. Um, and this is survivable. You know, we can keep going and we can take strength from people who have gone before us. Um, you know, also like the writer, I think Elizabeth Gilbert once said, I think on Facebook or something like that, someone passed the, the message along to me. Um, you know, I could I could wallpaper my my room with the rejection letters that I've gotten from publishers and magazines like she's been rejected so many times it's so hard to believe <laughs> isn't it? it but it but that's the thing is that when we feel criticized or rejected or scared or small or like we're a fraud or an imposter or whatever we we go into this little cave in our minds and we feel like I'm the only one who feels this way <laughs> or like this is this is me and everyone else is great, but I'm a terrible garbage can. Yeah. And it's not true. Everyone feels like a terrible garbage can and every, everyone is struggling and we're all struggling together um, and we're all creating together. So I, I take a lot of comfort in remembering that I am not alone in these feelings. Other people have survived. I can too. So, so important. And, and also thinking about like where they are in their journey, because you know, I'm sure Mark Ruffalo doesn't get rejected from that many auditions these days, but he has earned that and he's put the time in. And I think, like you said before, so often we want it now. And the truth is building something that's going to last takes time, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And and we also forget that, you know, another hero of mine is RuPaul, uh, who hosts RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm obsessed with RuPaul. <laughs> 
<laughs> for so many reasons. And and I was listening to an interview with with RuPaul recently, where he was saying, you know, look, I get rejected even today. You know, RuPaul's an Emmy award winning TV host, and RuPaul is still getting called in for auditions for you know movies and TV and various things. And sometimes he gets the part, and sometimes he doesn't. And you know, even at that the highest level of your career everything doesn't go perfectly exactly the way that you want it every single time. Like there's, there's always that push pull of trial and error, even at that level. Um, and I think that's important to remember too, you know, it, it gets easier in some ways. Um, but it's always, it always requires courage at every level of your career to keep putting yourself out there. For sure. And, and criticism is a really interesting one because sometimes you need it because criticism can make your work better. And ultimately that's what you want, right? So how do you know, which criticism to take on board and which to ignore? Ooh, that is, that's a tough one for sure. Um, you know, there are, there's a small circle of people um, that I consider to be like very close friends, you know, very close colleagues, people that I really trust and love. And if one of those people were to give me a piece of criticism or, you know, feedback, let's say a suggestion, I would probably really listen because I really value their opinion and be, and because they, they understand me and they understand my intention and they understand what I'm trying to achieve in the world. So, you know, I think that there, it's important to have a small circle of sort of like, you know, the people that you really trust who you can rely on for suggestions. Now, if it's just a kind of a random person from somewhere on the internet who gives my book a one star review or whatever, which is happened. Um, you know, I might read the review, I might not. Uh, but it's, it's you know, at, at that point, it's like, there's a point where we just have to realize whatever we create, you know, anything you create in any industry, there are going to be people who think it's the greatest thing ever. There are going to be people who are like, that's all right. And there's going to be people who are like, I hate it. And you just, you can't control any of that. And it's, it's sort of like, none of the people are are right in a way you know what I mean like it's it's just their reaction and their opinion so as much as possible I I try to kind of tune out and just not look at the the severely negative stuff because Mm -hmm. it's usually not constructive or helpful and it's also like well the book is already done you know I'm I'm, I'm sorry you didn't like it but I'm not gonna like go revise chapter seven because you didn't like (laughs) so um you know I I think that I think we all have a different relationship with criticism and we, we all have different boundaries that we need to set. Um, you know, I know people, for example, who never, ever read the comments on their blog or just deactivate the comments on their blog because they just don't want that incoming flow of commentary. And I know people who never read their reviews on Yelp or Amazon or anywhere else. And I just prefer just not to even look at it. Um, and I know people who don't even read their own email anymore. You know, they, they hire someone else to handle their email for them and so and and everything in between so I I think we we all have our own brains and our own hearts and our own lives and we all just have to figure out you know what are the boundaries and the policies that are going to allow me to keep creating and feel sane and feel okay um, and set those set those policies you know it's going to look a little different for everyone yeah who do you turn to for support when you're having a hard day Ah, oh, I turn to my partner, Brandon, for sure. He's he's usually standing a few feet away. So he's usually <laughs> receiving, um, you know, the brunt of it. And he's he's so supportive and wonderful. And, and I, you know, I try to serve the same role for him, too. He's also self-employed. Um, you know, it, it feels good sometimes to just say, 
I'm feeling really upset right now. Here's what happened. Just kind of spill it all out. Um, and he's a really good listener in that he, he usually doesn't try to like solve the problem. You know, he's not like, okay, here's what we do. He just sort of listens and takes it in and, and that's really helpful. Um, and I have a few friends, like I mentioned, a, a small circle of people that I might turn to if I'm feeling distressed about something. My parents, for sure, they're they're still on this planet. I hope they will be for many, many more years. And, and they're wonderful listeners and wonderful people that I can speak to. Um, but also not talking, you know, just getting away from my computer, being by myself, taking a walk in nature, going to a workout, um, something where I'm, I'm just kind of getting out of my brain can be very helpful for dealing with criticism uh, and rejection. And then, yeah, turning, looking to my heroes as well, you know, looking to Mark Ruffalo, reading an interview, watching a video, watching a TED talk, you know, kind of connecting with someone that I admire and reminding myself this happens to everyone. Um, I'm not the first and I won't be the last and, and I can endure this and it's going to be okay is, is very, very healing for me as well. Yeah, for sure. And it, like knowing who, what to do at those times and who to turn to, I think is really important. And also knowing with hindsight that it becomes part of your story, right? All of that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and I'd love to, I know that you, you teach storytelling and, and it's a really great way you know, having just written a book, which is partly stories and partly um, kind of life coaching, I guess. Um, it's I, I really, really loved writing the story parts. So interviewing people and taking what they told me and turning it into a very short summary of not their whole life, but like a tiny aspect of their life that has a point to it. Um, it was it was difficult, um, but also some of I you know I felt like my most elegant writing and the bit I really really loved. But it's it's not easy. So what what do you think is the essence of a good story? Ooh, well I think there's different types of stories, um, but the type of story that I personally find myself writing the most basically goes: This is what happened. This is what I learned. And that's kind of the format that I use for almost all the stories that I write. You know, this is what happened. This is what I learned. Mm -hmm. um, I tell the story, you know, just in a very kind of straightforward manner. You know, I was a junior in college and this happened or it was my first date with Brandon and this happened or, or whatever. And then this is what I learned. You know, this is what I realized. This is what I remembered. Um, this was the difficult reminder that that experience brought to me. Um, this is the moral of the story. And that's really the approach that I use. It's really simple. Um, and for anyone who wants to write in a way that you know, if you if you want to write a story that's inspirational, that's motivating, that really leaves the reader with a sense of like, ah, I get it. You know, I get the moral of the story. That's a great format to just hold in your mind. This is what happened. This is what I learned. And if you can sort of fill in those two blanks, you've got a story. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a story with a point. So you can try that out. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it so much. Um, I'm so happy to have been able to talk to you today. I'd love to know just to, to wrap up what's What's the next chapter in your story? What's coming for Alex? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, oh my gosh. Well, I, I have, 
I'm not sure when this podcast will be released, but I, I do have a new book coming out in fall of 2017. The book is called You're Going to Survive, and it's a book of true stories from my own life and from other people's careers, stories about adversity, discouragement, rejection, criticism. Um, basically, I, I asked uh, about 20 or 30 people tell me about the worst moment in your career and what happened and what you learned. And uh, the stories are just amazing. People were so open and so vulnerable and, and willing to share really their rock bottom moment and and what they learned and what happened and, and how they got through it. So I love the book. I, I hope it provides a lot of comfort for people who are feeling really scared <laughs> or going through something rough um, as a reminder that, that you know, you're not alone. Um, so that's exciting. And I'm really excited to see, you know, just kind of what happens with that book, what the ripple effect is. I don't know if it'll be a, a bestseller. I don't know if it'll make a big splash, but I'm excited to see whatever impact it does have. Um, and I'm excited to, you know, just kind of talk about it and do a book tour and like get out there and get out of my little hermit cave and, and really connect with people face to face. That'll be really fun. <laughs> it sounds like a kind of book that a lot of people are going to benefit from because like you say it's good to know you're not alone people have walked this path before and you can too yeah you can too absolutely um so that's exciting and then next year and the year beyond that um I have a few things lined up already. Like I, I will be doing some writing retreats. I will be doing some classes. Um, I will, you know, have a small handful of clients similar to this year. And then there are a few um, sort of like semi-secret projects that I'm working mm -hmm. on as well that I, I will I will reveal in the fullness of time. <laughs> I love it. Well, I hope we get to bump into each other again, perhaps on a lake this time or on a river yes. somewhere. <laughs> It's been yeah. really wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much, Alex. You're such an inspiration to so many people, including myself. Thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'll see you uh, on another boat somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for this time. You've been listening to me, Beth Kempton, in conversation with Alexandra Franson. You can find out more about Alexandra at alexandrafranson.com. 